0: Fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 54 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder
1: and me Mick Webb. And in today's podcast we're going on a voyage of discovery to find out everything we can about the island of Mustique. That mysterious hideaway of the very rich, the very famous and the <laughs> very posh. First though, here's a message from one of our listeners, Lola Kulsan who's been writing a travel book about Spanish beaches. Uh, My partner John Weller and I travelled around the entire coast of Spain in our camper van. We also visited the Balearics um, and took photos and wrote descriptions of exactly how to get down to some of these um, wonderful beaches. Uh, We went to 480 beaches all over Spain. We... um, got locked down in spain actually and didn't think we were going to be able to finish our book but we did manage it and we wondered if you might like to invite us on your podcast I think we should definitely invite Lola to join us, don't you think, Simon? I certainly do. 480 beaches. Clearly, we want to know her absolute favourites and the
0: ones not to bother with. Um, but I'd also like to talk to her about caravans and campervans and and um, how you kind of keep everything together when you're on the road. Um, but uh, no, thank you very much indeed for that, Lola. And of course, we want to know your favourite Spanish beaches. Do let us know we'll give you the details at the end of this podcast
1: and also uh, if like Lola you want to leave us a voice message with one of your favorite travel tales or favorite Spanish beaches or with any ideas for future topics then go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there you do need to log in but other than that it's very straightforward case it wasn't obvious that was a twin engine propeller plane the kind you need if you're going to get to and land on the island of Mustique and our guest today is journalist Claire Rathall who's actually been there hello Claire hello Claire how did that happen do you have a connection with Mick Jagger or Princess Margaret?
2: Sa- Sadly, nothing as glamorous mm. as that. Um, I, ha- I had an interest in the work of the um, stage designer Oliver Messel, and who, who built most of the houses. Well, most of the original houses on Mystique, oh. and um, I pitched a story to Condé Nast Traveler, and they said yes and sent me.
1: How interesting! From the name, um, it. Sounds as though it's got lots of mosquitoes, is that is that correct?
2: I, I think it historically it probably had lots of mosquitoes, but um they've been eradicated. <laughs> Certainly I did not suffer. <laughs>
0: Claire, just getting there is a complete pain. We heard the um, the, the, the light aircraft there. Um, and this is a place that uh, neither Mick nor I have ever been to and we can only dream of. Uh, so talk us through your journey, because it's it's not an easy, easy place to reach, is it?
2: It's, it's a lot easier than it was. Um, I flew to Barbados and got a connecting plane on, a, on I think, SVG Airlines for St. Vincent and the Grenadines. But now uh, Mystique actually has its own airline um, and they have a fleet of twin otters that meet all the international flights either into St. Lucia or into uh, Grenada, uh, Grenada or um Barbados on request
0: and and just to place it for people who know the Caribbean but um uh, perhaps can't immediately place uh, Moustique. so you you have the um the the, the arm stretching down from uh, from Cuba from Dominican Republic uh, going into the Uh, the the western sorry forgive me the eastern Caribbean um, all those all those beautiful islands kind of split between the British and the French empires so you've got Montserrat, uh, Dominica, Guadeloupe and then you get to uh, Saint Lucia, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines and it's one of those little Grenadines um, trickling down towards
2: Grenada and just to the west of Barbados does that sort of place it that's exactly right sort of directly south of St Lucia north of Grenada and west of Barbados and and it's it's a it's it's, there is a ferry from um, St Vincent actually a, a mail boat and supply boat but it also takes foot passengers leaves every day except Sundays and it takes about two hours, which gives you a sense of the distance. Now, my budget
0: travel ears pricked up when I heard that, but I don't suppose it is much of a
2: budget destination. It's not a budget destination at all, um, largely because it it is quite hard to get to. I mean, they they may have their airline, but I think the the return flight during the season is six hundred and forty eight dollars. Um, And it's about a hundred dollars less than that off season. So it'll cost you as much to get for that 25 minute hop as it will to cross the Atlantic. Um, And The the trouble with the ferry is it leaves at two o'clock in the afternoon, gets there at four. You can't do it as a day trip and you'll need somewhere to stay.
1: That's quite cunning, isn't it?
2: (laughs) This is deliberate, though. I think they don't. I mean, you get that. It's if you've got a boat of your own and can sail there, an anchorage is less than a hundred dollars. It's not. It's not exclusive in that respect, but that relies on you having the boat.
0: (laughs) I mean, can you give us an idea of, of kind of what it looks like, how big it is, whether you can walk across it in an afternoon, and what's actually there?
2: The short answer is there's not that much there. The the island itself is tiny, about half the size of Richmond Park. It's about barely a mile and a half wide, about three miles north to south.
1: That's tiny.
2: (laughs) Really tiny. And um, it's green and, well, it's green if it's been raining. It's kind of scrubby, volcanic, quite hilly. I mean, neither as sort of beautiful as St Lucia. There's no rainforest or lushness. Um, right. But neither is it a sort of flat and farmed as Antigua. But it's, what, what is striking about it is its surroundings. You, d- you don't look in, you look out. And the seascapes and all the islands surround it and the colours of the sea are just transfixingly wonderful. Does it have great beaches? It, it has eight beaches, six, six of which um, you can swim on, all, all of which are actually strikingly beautiful um, there's a, a wonderful anti- uh, Atlantic beaches where the, the, the surface is quite sort of big and the water is quite cold, not not ideal for swimming. Um, but the 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 Caribbean beaches are are really as good as it gets.
0: And what do you do all day, Claire?
2: I think you go there to do nothing. I mean, there are one hundred and three villas, I think now. Um, there's mm. a there are tennis courts. There's a stay there are some stables with a few horses so you can ride um, they do now produce a map of what they call hiking trails but they're quite short walks <laughs> <They must be>. <laughs> <laughs> you know you you go there to kick back and chill out and, and not not see anywhere I mean I think I think it's the it's the privacy that it affords that that draw people um, and in a way what I think what makes it special is what's not there the fact that you know, there's no marina, there's no golf course. There are there are you know handful of shops, but it's certainly not a shopping destination. It's there's no litter, no crime, no advertising, no crowds, no cruise ships. Um, wow. it, it's the beaches are completely undeveloped. You know, if you want to take a if you need shade, you have to bring your own gazebo or umbrella. You need your own sun loungers. All all you'll find on the beaches is you know sand and shells and sea. And there aren't many places, uh, certainly not places as beautiful left in the world like that.
0: Mick never travels anywhere without his gazebo, I've noticed. Um, yeah,
2: you probably can't take one on a twin prop,
1: though. Oh, God, just think how much it would cost you in excess <laughs> baggage. I mean, you know, I can say that I have got a gazebo, which I bought because of the lockdown, but I haven't actually quite got round to getting it out of its box yet.
0: I, Claire, I'm intrigued, though, because what we know, Mick and I, about Mystique is really all that we've heard about the people who go there. So surely there must be a bit of interaction. and There surely must be, well, let's go back um, a couple of decades, um, you know, Princess Margaret nudging her companion saying, oh, look, there's Mick Jagger over there again. Um, that that might, The place must be rife with gossip, isn't it?
2: Yes, I think there is a very definite sort of, you know, what happens on Mystique stays on Mystique. <laughs> yeah. um, they, nobody really gossips. I mean, though I, Tom Ford was very indiscreet. I, I read an interview with him earlier this year where he criticised Boris Johnson for playing tennis in black socks.
1: <laughs> it's to- Tom Ford. Sorry, I don't know who that is. Oh, Tom, oh. The,
2: the the fashion designer, film director. Um ah. Generally, celebrity habitué of moustique, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but he's not a fashion designer of socks.
2: Well, he is, but he, which is why he was so disapproving of the yeah. prime minister's choice of tennis attire. You, except because nobody goes to be seen really, so it mostly doesn't matter what uh, you wear.
0: <laughs> um, without wishing to be un, unkind or unfair, there's an awful lot of places closer to the uk where you can do that and even if you're talking about the depths of winter and you i mean the canaries have plenty of private villas you can go further south to um, cape verde or of course you can just go to somewhere where you're going to get absolute guaranteed sunshine such as uh, egypt and that is just five hours flight as opposed to 10 hours flight and then the most expensive short haul hop you've ever
2: bought but I think a lot of it, you know, it is, it is the exclusivity, it is the fashion, it is the fact that you can be, you know, the Duchess of Cambridge and go go for a run without a, leaving your home, without a security detail. I think there is there is a kind of freedom. Uh, 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 the, the Queen, when she went to stay with, with Princess Margaret in 1977, the, the year of the Silver Jubilee, used to go swimming on the beach off of her house there. Um, and she never went swimming in the sea because she was always terrified of being photographed. But Mystique was the one place on earth she, she was happy to be on in the water, in public, so to speak. Celebrities of the, of the level that go there are, are kind of liberated from, from any sort of security concerns or any chance of being papped.
1: Ah, how does that work? Are the paparazzi actually, are they sort of screened? I mean, you know, I mean, I could uh, go there, couldn't I? I mean, if I could uh, face the bill of, uh, I don't know, however many hundred dollars a night to stay in one of the villas, but I could actually be an undercover um, photographer, couldn't I?
2: It would be quite I mean, you yeah, theoretically, but they because there are I think there are seventy eight villas that are available for rent, and then there is a hotel with about twenty rooms from, from only about five hundred dollars, which actually by the sounds of the Caribbean is is not um outlandish. But they they know who they know who's coming. they and um, the, the, the Mustique Company, which, which runs the island, does have a kind of warning on its website where it says drones are not permitted and from time to time cameras may be prohibited.
1: Oh, that sounds quite sinister. Was that the Mustique Ooh. Company?
2: The Mystique Company, indeed, which is, which is the company that own, owns and um, operates the island. Everything. If you, if, you, if you buy a villa there, you automatically become a shareholder in the company. And um, uh-huh. nothing really happens there without its say so.
0: Kind of modern day take on the uh, Dutch East
2: India Company. Less exploitative, <laughs> I would say, um, and and also kind of loved and revered by the government of Saint Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, to which it contributes a hundred million dollars a year. Good luck. <laughs> it's, it's one of the it's one of the biggest revenue earners and indeed employers in the whole nation. Oh. It employs, I think, 750 people and, and by overseeing the villas, I think, it has created about 1,200 jobs on Mystique. So it's, it's a very important to the nation. And
0: just doing the math, as, as they say, no doubt, uh, among the more brash American visitors, um, that suggests that everybody is extremely well looked after because you're going to have, you're going to be outnumbered by the number of people who are there simply to look after guests. Is it, is it the
2: height of luxury, would you say? well every villa has a resident staff of between i would say i don't know 2 and 2 and 10 people um so yes i think you're extremely well looked after i mean i i stayed in the hotel so i but i did i didn't meet a lot of the villa staff um and they seemed terrific i mean it
1: is colonial in a way isn't it because um most of the guests are uh, i suppose we could say um um Posh and white, and most of the people who are looking after them are um, significantly less well off. And black is that kind of basically how it um, pans out. Uh,
2: I, I, mean, I, I think that is a generalisation, but yes, essentially that's what it is. I, I, I mean, among the Villarenas, there are twenty different nationalities, but of, of course, nobody knows how that breaks down. Um, but it's it, it it is it is very benevolently run. It you know, it has the most exquisitely beautiful primary I mean, really, the lovely, prim- loveliest looking primary school I've mm. ever seen. A library, a medical centre, a big philanthropic foundation. All the children are, then go away to school at eleven. They will have their university places covered yeah. if they get them. I mean, it's. I think a, a job on mystique is a is a very good thing for a Vincentian to have in in terms of of the way that they're. They're looked after and treated uh-huh. because obviously you know you want you want your staff to be really good because you want the start you want the people who rent your villa to be happy and come back
1: <laughs> can i ask you something about the history of it which i think is actually fascinating from what i've seen i i believe the original owner of the island <laughs> uh, actually set out to try and create a council estate for the aristocracy. Is that, that,
2: that, <laughs> it's not, not quite how it happened. Um, the, in um, 1958, Colin Tennant, who was the scion of a hugely wealthy Scottish industrial family whose money had... His great-great-grandfather had... Yes, his great-great-grandfather was a weaver who invented um, powdered bleach by mixing chlorine with lime and made an enormous amount of money. And they became, it became a huge chemicals company, and then they diversified into all sorts of other things. And in 1958, Colin Tennant, the, the son of the then Lord Glenconnor, because they were elevated to the peerage at, in 1911, was dispatched to the Caribbean in order to sell the family's mahogany plantation on mm. Trinidad, while he was out there, he happened on Mystique, which was for sale, um, sailed around it, didn't set foot on it and bought it for £45,000, which was actually more than he'd sold the land on Trinidad for. Um, and his his plan was actually to to revive the, the cotton industry on the island. The, the island at that time was home to 10 families, about 100 people, mostly subsistence farmers and um, fishermen. And the, the cotton industry was, was really dying. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, Colin Tennant and his long-suffering wife Anne actually spent um, 12 years trying to get the cotton going again. Um, and then the, the house that they lived in was burnt down and they put it on the market and nobody wanted to buy it. But in 1960, Princess Margaret had married and um, taken the Royal Yacht Britannia to, as one does to the Caribbean, um, called in on, on Lady Anne, who was her, um, one of her ladies-in-waiting. And um, Colin Tennant, realizing that he hadn't actually given them a wedding present, said, would you like something small in a box from Asprey's, or would you like some land here? She took the land. He offered her 10 acres at mm-hmm. the south of the island, a very, very beautiful site. And um, not much more was done. And then in 1968, when her, by which time her marriage was suffering, um, she apparently rang them up and said, did you mean that about the land and doesn't come with the house? And um, didn't come with the house. but And I'm not sure who actually paid for it. But she then suggested they get Oliver Messel, the stage designer whose work I was interested in, which is what took me there, um, and who also happened to be the, uh, her husband's, god uh uncle to build them a house so Messel, who was a theater designer built it like a stage set really where there was a view he put a proscenium arch around it if he fused ceilings and walls to make the rooms appear higher he put the door handles much lower than you would normally to make the doors look taller there were very few materials on the um island so the uh, concrete floors were scored and painted Mm. to look like smarter paviers. He wove wove pandan leaves into furniture and built things out of bamboo. He sort of invented shabby chic and they are just exquisitely lovely and um, Princess Anne's, uh, Princess Margaret's was the first house and um, then he designed I think 15 in all and (laughs) members of the British aristocracy, began to buy in in a big way. The budget for, you know, he was paid $1,000 for each one. Um, uh, Tennant very smartly kept the copyright of the designs, and and that became what what was referred to as um, Caribbean Palladianism, Um, but very much sort of informed the aesthetic of the island and and, and is one of the reasons it it is so lovely. (laughs)
1: If you were to go there now, I mean, if we uh, if we managed to um, make our way onto that mail boat and uh, uh, or maybe actually borrow someone's yacht and just anchor offshore and then go, go, go onto the island. Are we are we going to actually bump into anybody very well known now or has it sort of gone down market a bit since the early days?
2: I think it's it's much less. Aristocratic. I mean, the, the the princess Margaret got the first house. Then the next one was built by the Guinness family. Um, then the Earl of Lichfield, the Queen's cousin. But you know, i it, mean it, it was. And then Mick Jagger and David Bowie and all this kind of rock royalty. And and yet now, I mean, one one of the reasons that um, Lord Glenconnor, as he became left, was he got fed up with what he referred to as the brokers and the bankers and latterly the tech millionaires and, and it, it it it's become it's it's much less I think about parties and hedonism and the aristocracy hanging out with each other and much more about people who crave privacy and are protective of their enormous wealth to just sort of hunker down
1: that's a bit boring isn't it presumably there was some incredibly wild and uh, uh, mad parties. I mean, I saw the episode of The Crown quite recently, where uh, there was a pretty decent party going on um, on on Mustique, which included uh, Princess Margaret.
2: I, th- I think the I mean, the, the parties were really how how um, Colin Tennant marketed it. Once, once he realised that was the way the way to make it sort of pay for itself was to um, sell plots of land and encourage people to build on them. He had, I think it was his 50th birthday, and they, they had this party where everything, the, it had a gold theme, and he flew. He, he paid for everything. I mean, he, pay, he flew a sort of, the guest list of his dreams out there, provided seven days of nonstop partying, got Robert Maplethorpe to photograph it, secured lots of press coverage, and, and the kind of legend of mystique was born. <laughs> <laughs> and these and these sort of parties continued really until um, they just became completely uneconomic.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, worth pointing out, by the way, that um, anybody who's confused about tenants, um, the well-known uh, Scottish uh, dynasty, um, there, there are two tenants going on. The first one is the one of which you speak, ten t e n n a n t, and then there's also tenants. Um, which is another dynasty, but that one does lager, and I don't suppose tenants Lager featured much at the uh, <laughs> parties that were, that were held there.
2: I know I... the the, the beer of St Vincent and the Grenadines is Haroon. Mm. <laughs> so oh, its oh, strap line is the best in the west and it's delicious
0: <laughs> i i would love to be marooned with a haroon in Moustique, but i don't suppose i ever will be
1: <laughs> yes you wouldn't be too keen when a typhoon turned up oh that's in the wrong hemisphere isn't it sorry
2: i i have two souvenirs from Moustique. One is a very lovely sarong that was given to me by the doctor's wife who has a sideline in designing rather lovely beachwear and the other is a bottle <laughs> cap from a bottle of Haroon. I, I,
1: I read that um, David Bowie uh, used to drink at, I think, the bar where everybody drinks. Is it called Basil's? Is that, is that, is that right?
2: Absolutely, actually. and I, I, I had dinner at Basil's when I was there, but because it was a Sunday night Sort of at the beginning of December, it wasn't very busy. But the, the amazing thing about the m- menu there was that lobster was the cheapest <laughs> dish, because lobster, the, the waters around Mystique are full Good of table. lobster, and uh, and it's one of the few things they don't have to import. Well, well. So, so it makes sense. to Tweet it as often as you can. <laughs> okay.
1: Where do you think, um, where do you think, Claire, that it kind of actually fits um, amongst all the other? gorgeous islands of the Caribbean, some of which are um, significantly cheaper to get to and where uh, obviously you won't see anybody quite as uh, exotic. But um, if you were going to travel all that way, are there are there better places to go?
2: I mean, my, my, the island that I love is St Lucia um, because it's got that amazing hinterland. It's, you know, those... The, practically mounted I mean those those hills and that rainforest quite apart from the beaches and the piton and the things that it's famous for. And of course after he left Mystique um Colentine and Lord Glenconnor as he became, tried to do the same thing in St. Lucia, but it didn't it didn't really work. Oh. Um, but I St Lucia seems to me just one of the most beautiful islands.
1: Have you been to any, Simon? Are you? I don't really. I don't have you down as a Caribbean man, but oh
0: well. Look, I, I love the Caribbean, but I have to say that um, the bigger the island, the more interesting it is for me. Very straightforwardly, uh, mystique from your wonderful description, Claire, and I love the idea of you know you need to be there looking out rather than looking inwards. Um, I, I think um, I could sort of very usefully enjoy a morning there, but um, but then I'd want to be off to St. Lucia, which, as you say, is much more, more, more scenically appealing and it has a certain amount of culture. But if you want real culture, surely you have to go somewhere like Jamaica or better skill, still, Cuba, because that's where you're going to get absolute solid Caribbean culture. And with the best one in the world, um, even at Basil's, you are not going to find much in the way of culture, and um, uh, and you, you simply need scale in order to to generate somewhere which is going to be of interest if you want to do anything more than um, uh, than, than, than play tennis and have parties. My my kind of final ish question to you, Claire, is is as follows: um, Surely there must be mystiques, or at least the. Raw materials of a mystique all, all over the world I mean in the South Pacific, in the Indian Ocean, South China Sea, somewhere where you could have the same recipe for financial success and exclusivity
2: um, strangely the the places that it reminds me most of are, are both in northern Europe ah. um, not 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 so much for the lovely. Tropical weather and warm seas and lovely seascapes, but um, Zult in off the north coast of Germany in the North Sea is very similar in terms of the sort of exclusivity and the fact that it's not much known to. How,
1: how do you spell it? Can I ask even, you? I don't even know. I, so little do I know about it.
2: Oh God, it's so it's so wonderful. It's it's spelled S Y L T, and um, I went there a few few years ago and um we we got we we flew to hamburg and got on the train and somebody actually came over to us um asked us if we were on the right train because you did not get foreigners on the train but it's a it's a very very beautiful island um and it has a sort of microclimate so although it's in the north sea it's it's not as cold as it sounds and it's it it's Slightly more, I mean, there, there's kind of more in the way of hotels and restaurants and shops, but but mostly it's fillers. But it's it's a sort of hideaway for the German plutocracy. Um, and, and there's also quite an interesting one in Russia called Kios, which is about 400 kilometres from Moscow on the Volga. Um, again, where a, a, a sort of minor oligarch called um, Alexei Schiftsoff started buying up dachas and um refurbishing them very beautifully and renting them out and if he said that if somebody booked one of his dachas three times then they would make him an offer for it and it's it's where a lot of the the sort of Muscovite plutocracy have homes in, including Medvedev the former president and you know, current prime minister um and it's it, it it has the same sort of like nobody dresses up, nobody wears heels, nobody wears makeup. It's very kind of laid back. People go there to sort of connect with what they call the real Russia.
1: Well, anyway, Claire, thank you so much. It's been um, uh, extremely um, interesting um, to find out a bit about how I was going to say the other half live. But I suppose it's about the other.
2: It's like a 0.00001 percent. <laughs> Well, my my pleasure. It was it was lovely in these kind of cold, dark times to to think about it again. (laughs) I sort of realised I actually loved it much more than I'd thought.
0: (laughs) Well, um, you were talking about somewhere you love. Claire and um in the next podcast in our series you should have been there um we've got actually a bit of a valentine special um we'll be looking at uh love islands around the world the whole notion of romance on the road so do get in touch if you've got your own story of a brief encounter or a heartbreak or something that has just uh been a, an utterly romantic experience for you um you can get in touch on twitter we are you should have be one yes that's you should have be and then the number one or you can leave an audio message at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there um, we're delighted that we have been here with Claire Rathall thank you so much for um, spelling out the uh, wonders of, of mystique for us and introducing us to a place I fear we'll still never get to but meanwhile from me Simon Calder
1: and
2: me Mick Webb goodbye Bye. goodbye, goodbye.